So tonight we're in Psalm 79, super excited about the word before us. Uh, another just, you know what, timely psalm for us where we are today as they all are. God's word is the most contemporary current book upon the face of the earth. Tonight here in Psalm 79, it's another psalm of Asaph, and we've looked at several of the psalms. Uh, we're going to continue in psalms until at least we get to the end of the psalms of Asaph. These are psalms written by him, some written by his children, as we know that he was a contemporary of King David. In fact, he was one of the worship leaders there in the tabernacle. And we've touched on this just about every week. A real unique thing and neat thing about Asaph is that not only was he the worship leader there in the temple or one of them, his family as well was part of the leading of the worship, the worship of God and the ministry to the people there in Israel, which, you know, it's a beautiful scene. And then we also see with Asaph, it didn't just end with him and his children, but several generations through the scripture, the descendants of Asaph are worship leaders there in the temple. Even, you know, hundreds of years later, after Israel returned from the captivity there, we see the children of Asaph leading worship as the temple was being rebuilt. So I think we want to keep that in mind when we look at this man, because I think we can get a lot of parenting tips from him. And we can glean from his heart for the next generation. In fact, in the psalm we're here tonight, I'll just do a little overview of the psalm and then we'll dive right into it. Listen, the psalm starts with Asaph's concern about the infiltration of the nation that is defiling the temple. We're going to see the heathen or the nations are defiling the temple. And we're going to talk about how that happens. We're going to talk about how sometimes that can happen by force. And sadly, sometimes that happens when the church, or back in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel let their guard down and the invited in false teaching and the invited falsehood right there into the temple and to the worship of God. So he has a concern and he expresses that. Then we're going to see him pleading to God for judgment upon those that are coming against the people of God, as well as restoration for the worship of God. And then we'll see him crying out to God, for forgiveness and mercy for Israel, and absolutely how that we got to get the specks out of our own eyes first before in dealing with logs of others, crying out for forgiveness and mercy and restoration. And then he ends addressing again the next generation. The last line of the psalm says, we will show forth your praise to all generations. And Asaph was a man, again, not only wanting to worship God himself, but he had deep concern for the next generation. And that's something that God wants us to have. God's called us to raise up others, to invest in the next generation, that they would have a knowledge of the living God. And I hope that you're doing that. I hope you're doing that with your kids. Everything we do here, listen, it is a supplement to what should be going on in our homes. Listen, you're the priest of your home. You know, whether uh, you know, you're the, the, a parent who's a believer or both, you know, mom and dad are, we are there to, in part, raise our children in the way of the Lord, in our action, in our behavior, sowing God's word in them, making sure that they're seeing what it looks like to put the Lord first. So I encourage you in that tonight. I know it can be challenging. I know it can be difficult. But listen, we press forward, and we cry out to God for great grace and mercy in raising our children. We want to cry out to God for this generation around us, this next, they call it Generation X that desperately needs the Lord as all these generations do. So let's dive into the psalm here. We set it up a bit. The first verse here is Psalm 79. It says, a psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. 
your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. And so let's just start talking about this inheritance. He says, oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. And we should ask the question, what is God's inheritance? Or maybe better, who is God's inheritance? Because we see in scripture that indeed through Abraham, God had a covenant and that's how the nation of Israel was birthed. And when Abraham entered into that covenant with God and the covenant was that God would raise up a nation through Abraham, again, she would be named Israel and through that nation, the Messiah would come. It says Abraham believed God. He believed that God would raise up a savior and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham also had the faith to believe that, listen, all Israel one day would be saved. And absolutely, God honored that faith of Abraham. And in that, when he entered into that covenant, Israel became the people of God as well as the inheritance of God. Remember, man had fell in the garden. Man was separated from God. There was a promise of a Savior. And even before Abraham, people that had faith in that coming Messiah were saved by grace through faith and the Messiah would come just as we're saved today by grace through faith and the Messiah, Jesus, who has come. And then God came to the place where he wanted to raise up a nation to even give more prophetic utterance of how specifically the Messiah would come, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. How it would be of the tribe of Judah, come through the seed of David, be born in Bethlehem, be born of a virgin. All of these prophecies given so we would know the Messiah when he got here because he fulfilled the Holy Scriptures. And God said, listen, through this covenant, you have become my people you have become my inheritance. You belong to me. Psalm 74, 2 says, Remember your congregation, which you have purchased as of old, the tribe of your, notice here, inheritance, which you have redeemed, this Mount Zion where you have dwelt. So we see that Israel is God's inheritance. Believing Israel, we should say, Israel with faith. Those with faith in Israel in the Old Testament Again, we know all Israel eventually will be saved. They're his inheritance. And listen, this is awesome. Tonight, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and I really hope that he is, I really hope that you've called upon the name of the Lord. Listen, the church, those with faith in Jesus, this is really awesome. We're his inheritance. The Father has gifted us to the Son through Jesus Christ, shed blood, through calling on his name, we're washed of our sin and we have right relationship with him. And the Bible says that we belong to him. And it says that we'll be kept by him. Jesus said in John 6, 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all who he has given to me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. I will raise them up at the last day. So we have been given to the Son, by the Father, through the work of the cross. And this is good news tonight. He says, nothing or no one that the Father has given to me will I lose. Isn't it good to have security in Jesus Christ? That comes when we genuinely put faith in the Lord Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. So we're kept in him. And then we're also given this promise on the last day when the Lord comes for his church at the end of the church age, He's going to raise us up. Again, it's another reference to the rapture of the church. The Bible says those that are in Christ will be raised up first. They'll come back with the Lord. Their bodies will be raised up and transformed. 
That's going to be an amazing miracle. And it says those of us that are here on earth will be caught up and changed in a twinkling of an eye on that last day. And so we have, again, we have assurance that we are kept by him. We have the promise of the coming of him. And then absolutely, we have the hope of everlasting life with him. It's good to absolutely be the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we need to know that the Holy Land is the Lord's inheritance. And absolutely, the scriptures call Jerusalem and Israel, the land there practically, it calls it the Holy Land and absolutely declares that that's the Lord's inheritance as well. Exodus 15, 17 says, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. And that was speaking about Israel when they left Egypt, that God would bring them into modern day Israel. He would bring them in where the Canaanites were and he would plant them in that place. That would be, you know what, God's inheritance and he would give that to them to dwell in. And we need to know that listen, through the course of history, whenever Israel is in that land, and they're walking, you know, with the Lord, whenever they're in that land and God's pouring grace and mercy on them, even in times of rebellion, it's a flourishing land. And as it flourishes, it's evidence that it's God's inheritance. Before Israel came back into the land in the early 1900s, it was a wasteland. But prophetically, God said in the last days, he would regather Israel, and he's done that. And it's a land, indeed, once again, of milk and honey. And deserts now abound with fruits, Marshes and swamps abound, you know, with, with life-giving substance and so forth. It's fulfilled prophecy concerning these days that we are living in. And we need to know as well, listen, at the end of this dispensation, this time that we're in now, the second coming of Christ, we know that God then is going to rule and reign on earth for a thousand years. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. And then at that point, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, really the heaven and earth as we know Uh, made anew just as our bodies will be made anew and it says that there will be a new Jerusalem in the place where Jerusalem is now Revelation 21 1 there towards the end of the New Testament right at the end there it says now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away also there is no more sea that I John saw the city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband And so New Jerusalem physically, New Jerusalem as well, that will be the home of the saints. He says, I see it coming down. Notice here as a bride adorned for her husband. And who's the husband here? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his inheritance. Jerusalem is his inheritance. New Jerusalem is his inheritance. And listen, these are things God wants you to know as a follower of Christ. God wants us to know who he is, and he wants us to know who we are in him and what we have in him. These are very encouraging words for us. Now listen, the psalmist Asaph is saying that the nations have come into your inheritance. He says, your holy temple they have defiled, they have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The word nations here, it could also be translated the heathen or the world. They've come into your inheritance. They've infiltrated, obviously, the people of his inheritance, as well as the temple there in Jerusalem. And listen, it's a horrific thing when the nations or the world invades the temple of God with an agenda to infiltrate where the worship worship of God should be taking place. 
And this can happen in multitudes of ways. It can happen by force. And that force is effective when those who are in the temple, the inheritance of God, should be walking with God. But when they're compromising with their walk with God, oftentimes the Lord will use the world or the heathen to chasten the people of God. And you see that pattern throughout the Old Testament. You see that pattern in Jerusalem. You see it in days of compromise when God would allow other nations come in to afflict those in Israel to bring them back to a place of repentance and getting their eyes upon the Lord. You see that in the various captivities. You see it in the Babylonian captivity in the day of Ezekiel and Daniel when Judah and Jerusalem taken into captivity for 70 years. The heathen, the nations come and infiltrate because of the compromise in that day and what was going on with idolatry and what was going on with the lack of faith in the Lord. What's interesting is this is also prophetic about the end of days. When the Bible speaks about the coming of the Lord, when all nations will surround Jerusalem to destroy her, and it's going to be at that point that all Israel will be saved looking unto the Lord, and it says the Lord's going to come back, and absolutely he is going to judge the nations. He'll put an end to, you know what, their uh, rebellion against God Almighty. And so that can happen by force, and the force is effective when the people of God are compromised. This also, though, and maybe even more often happens by invitation. When men, again, who should be watchmen on the walls, who should be standing in truth, who should be making sure the worship of God is biblical, that the teaching going on in the temple and the church is biblical, that the influence of the world is not influencing the worship and the doctrine of the church, when that doesn't happen, oftentimes the heathen or the world and their doctrine and their methodology is actually invited right in. And you see this as well through the history of Israel there in the Old Testament. You think of King Solomon, a man who was blessed with a great measure of wisdom. Unfortunately, he didn't exercise that wisdom all of his days because he came to a place of compromise when he began to marry foreign women. And in marrying them, it says, they got hold of his heart and led, in, led him into idolatry and to the worship of other gods and demons. And with that, gross compromise began to come into Israel, began to come into the temple. And then he had a son, Rehoboam, and then God rose up, raised up a foe, Jeroboam, and both of those men split Israel into the northern and the southern tribes, and both of them as well compromised and invited in the gods of the Canaanites, invited in the gods of the Gentiles. And these were times when they opened the doors for the heathen to come right in. They did not stand strong in the scriptures. They did not have hearts that were given over to God. And as a result, the people suffered immensely. You see it throughout the history of the kings of Israel. King after king, compromising, going after other gods, not caring about temple worship not caring about worshiping God Almighty. You see it as well with many of the kings of Judah. Absolutely going out, at times even getting victory over other countries in obedience to the Lord, and then taking their gods and coming and setting them back up there in the temple for some reason, which we can't wrap our minds around. Why would you 
ever do that. But listen, it goes back to the compromise of the heart, where by invitation, they're bringing in the nations, the heathen, the ways of the world. And sadly, in this day that we are living in, there's Bible verse after Bible verse in the New Testament that talks about the church doing this. The church allowing an infiltration of worship, doctrine, false gospels, false spirits to come right into the church. And listen, this is something that's not sparingly talked about in the New Testament, but it's talked about over and over and over again. And we're warned over and over again. Because we'll see in a minute, when this happens, it's not a small matter. We're going to see that, listen, what is holy is defiled, and as well, people are destroyed as a result of the infiltration of the world and false teachers and idolatry and all these things that oftentimes infiltrate the church when watchmen are not watching, and they're making light of the worship of God and the call to live holy lives. And the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented in the word. And the doctrine of the scriptures. Jude verse 4. It's one chapter. Jude verse 4. This is the Lord's half-brother speaking here. He says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny our only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So he speaks about certain men creeping in unnoticed, And they turn the grace of God, they take the gospel of God, and they pervert it with lewdness. They say, listen, grace gives us a freedom to go and sin and rebel versus understanding that true faith in the Lord, if you're asking him to be your Lord, that's a declaration that you want to be saved by grace and by the grace of God, you want to follow the Lord. And he says they deny the Lord Jesus Christ in this. They're denying that Jesus is their Lord even while presenting themselves as followers of the Lord, in reality, they're not. And he says, these types of men, they creep in unnoticed. And then in 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, For the time has come when we will not endure sound doctrine. And right before this, we get the charge to preach the word in season and out of season. But he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. Notice here, they'll heap up for themselves teachers and will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. This is talking about the church. It talks first of all about men creeping in unnoticed as wolves in sheep's clothing, but then it talks about a time coming when the church itself will heap up for themselves false teachers, people that tickle their ears, people that will just, you know what, speak fables to them and tell their flesh what they want to hear Versus preaching the word, which at times involves rebuking and correcting and pointing out error. Also, again, it brings doctrine and, you know, an encouragement and exhortation and equipping. He says the time's going to come when they're going to quit doing that. This is speaking about especially the end of days. And it doesn't say they'll get a few of these false teachers. It says they're going to heap them up. It means they're going to be sky high. It means the norm is going to be not Bible teachers that have a fear of God and preach the gospel, but men of compromise that tell people what they want to hear as the people say, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies, appease my flesh versus feeding my spirit with the living word of God. And listen, this is where I believe we are today. And you know what? We see a lot of end times things as the Bible prophesied unfolding. Again, we see Israel regathered as a nation. We see Jerusalem as a cup of trembling. We're in the middle of a 
pandemic that the Bible prophesies there will be many of these in the last days. Listen, Idaho, Utah is being rattled with earthquakes right now, various earthquakes around the world. There's wars and rumors of war. Our president today talked about, again, war against terror and various things that are happening around the world. The Bible said these things would happen, and it also speaks about great deception in the church, men creeping unnoticed, but then moving it into the church itself, heaping up false teachers, infiltrating the temple, infiltrating the inheritance of God. And listen, I just want to outline this here for you and give you an example of this. First of all, of how things have crept in unnoticed, where the New Age movement that teaches God is everywhere and in everything, and because God is in you, your God has crept into the church. In 1945, a lady by the name of Alice Bailey, she's a New Age uh, matriarch, absolutely held in high regard by New Agers. She said this. She said, um, a fresh orientation of divinity and to the acceptance of the fact of God transcendent and God imminent within every form of life. These are the foundational truths upon which the world religion of the future will rest. So she was prophesying wickedly that the future generations, the future one world religion will be everybody recognizing that they are God themselves, that every form of life is God. Everywhere he is God, God is in everything. This is, you know what, presented throughout the New Agement. And it goes back to the lie in the garden a man saying, I'll be my own God. When God said, I'm God and you're a man. Scott M. Peck, in the world, in, in the road less traveled, um, he says this. This is a 1978. He says, if you want to know the, close, uh, the closest place to look for grace, it is within yourself. I thought we were to look to the cross for that. If you desire wisdom greater than your own, you can find it inside you. To put it plainly, our unconscious is God God within us, we were part of God all the time. And so the New Age has been preaching this forever, that we're God, God is everywhere, God is in everything. That's also called pantheism, that God's everywhere and in everything. And Alice Bailey, very highly regarded by the New Agement, said this is going to be the religion of the future. Listen, there's quote after quote. This is a very common teaching of the New Age movement you're going to find it everywhere that you look in that movement. Now, you look at that and you say, that's so far from what the Bible says. The Bible says we're created in the image and likeness of God. You know what? God put man in the garden, and he said, you can eat in any tree of the garden, you'll be fine, but the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. And remember, Satan came along, and he said, if you eat of that tree, you're not going to die. God knows the day you eat of it, you're going to be like God. And man was drawn to that, the idea of being like God. He ate of that tree thinking, I'm like God, and I'm going to eat of the tree, and I'm going to be as God. But God said, the day you do that, you're going to die. We know man ate of the tree, and immediately death set in. Man and God were separated because God's holy. Man was a sinner. Sin brings death. God's the giver of life. And at that point, man and God's relationship was severed. And so not only did you have man, again, who was created of dust, and though God breathed life into him, God did not dwell in him. Man was in a place of sin, and God will not commune with rebellion. He just won't. 
That's when the promise was given of Jesus Christ, that the Savior would come, and though the serpent would bruise his heel, he would crush the serpent's head so that man could be reunited with God, that through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins would be forgiven, and we would receive then the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that God would come and dwell in us through the work of Jesus Christ and our sins being forgiven. And the Bible makes it very clear. The only way God can indwell in you is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if your faith is not in the Lord, not only are you not God, God does not dwell in you. Now in Christ, not only are we not God, but the Holy Spirit does dwell in us. The New Age churches, you know, or the New Age movement has taught that for years. Now what you need to know is that this has crept into the body of Christ. And it's crept in in a way that most have not noticed Though it's very clear if you just look. I'm going to read you some quotes. And I think it's important that I read these. I get page numbers and so forth so that you know. And a lot of you at home right now, you may have these books. And listen, I'm not throwing stones at you. If you have these books, this stuff's creeped into these pages. And until people step back and look at it, oftentimes they don't know. But being creeped in, once the leaven's in, leaven begins to grow. And error, listen, brings forth error. And leaven brings forth leaven. Eugene Peterson, someone that most people in you know, Christianum are familiar with, he wrote the book, The Message. It's a translation, basically, that he sat down and put together, saying, I think this is what this means, and this is what that means. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul is talking to those in Ephesus. He's talking to Christians In the first chapter, he talks about being sealed with the Spirit when you come to faith in the Lord. And in that passage, he talks about God being in all of you. And he's talking to Christians there. He's talking to those who put faith in the Lord. He talks in that book about you were enemies, and now you are right with God. The Holy Spirit has come to seal you, and God is in you all because you have faith in the Lord. But listen to how he writes this verse. Again, Ephesians 4, 6 in the message, it says, You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is is present in all. Everything you think, everything you are and think and do is is premiered with oneness. And he says that God is present in all. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is present in you all. Talking about believers. It's a letter to believers. God is present in you all because you've called upon the name of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been forgiven and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. Eugene Peterson says God is present in all. Remember Alice Bailey said this is going to be the religion that comes that all believe God is in all. And it's crept right in there. And a lot of people... A lot of well-meaning Christians have read this and not seen that, but it's clear as can be. It's been called out. It hasn't been changed. And then there's a book in 2002 called The Purpose Driven Life. And on page 88, you see the same thing. You see Rick Warren quoting the New Century Version Bible in 4.6, and it says the same thing. It says, because God is with you all the time, no place is any closer to God than the place where you are right now. The Bible says, and this is quoting his book, he rules, rules everything and is everywhere and is in everything. That's a lie. God is not in everything. Before I came to Christ, God did not indwell me. 
I was separated from God in my sin. It's when I called upon Jesus Christ that he filled me with the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. If God is in everything, then we don't need Jesus. Jesus came to bridge the gap between fallen man and almighty God and to make that way for us to have relationship with God and for the Holy Spirit to indwell in us. Now, some people say, well, that's a little small thing. Listen, you're making a mountain out of molehill. This was called out in the first edition of that book, and it's never been changed. It's a declaration that God is in everything and in everyone. And hear this, that's a false gospel. A false gospel crept in. A false gospel read by many well-intended people that didn't really step back and test the things because they picked this up at their local Christian bookstore or their pastor who was well-meaning and going through it in the congregation. And they didn't step back and say, wait a minute, we need to test all things. And if they were to test all things, they would have came to that and said, this is a false gospel. It absolutely is. God is not in everything. As Eugene Peterson says, you know what? God is not present in all. He's just not. And yet the New Age has said forever, this is going to be the end time religion. This has just been, again, creeping in. I'll give you a couple more examples. 19, or 2004, a book called Jesus Column was written by Sarah Young. And listen, in the J- July 8th, the July 8th devotion, it's on page 199. There's a declaration there. This is supposed to be Jesus talking. And he says, I am above all as well as in all. That's a lie. The Lord did not dwell in my life before I came to Christ. I was lost in my sin. I was separated from God. But an unbeliever picks this up and reads this. By the way, that book is void of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a gospel presentation. They're going to read that and they say, I'm good. God's in me. I'm right with God. That's a lie. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin damns us to hell. Jesus Christ came to atone for our sins. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's when we get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Lord comes to live in our life. But again, a blatant false gospel creeping in. And I'll give you one more. 2007, the book, The Shack, came out by William P. Young. And again, listen, I know a lot of well-intended Christians have read this book. I'm not condemning you if you've read it. I'm trying to educate you and try to encourage you to test the word because the Bible says men creep in unnoticed and these things that have crept in unnoticed by most people. And once you know this, you're accountable for it. And I would hope it'd be something you would say, I don't need that when I got the scriptures as well as so many good devotions and so many good teachings that are out there that are sound biblically. But again, the book, The Shack, William P. Young, 2007, one of the lines in the book reads, God, who is the ground of all being, dwells in, around, and through all things. So again, the message, you see it in the purpose-driven life, Jesus calling, the shag, God dwells in all, the New Age movement. Again, we'll go back to that. Just read Alice Bailey's declaration. She says, a fresh orientation to divinity and to the acceptance of the fact God transcended and God imminent within every form of life. These are the foundational truths which, which, with which the world religion of the future will rest, that God is in everything. And you see those books, probably the four most popular books in the last 20, 30 years in Christendom, all saying that God is in everything and God is in everyone. It's a false gospel crept in. 
And that's led us where we are today. Where you look at the bulk of the church sings worship songs that come from places that are grossly compromised. Hill songs, Bethel, you may be at home saying, oh no, I don't want to hear this. Steve, stop. Steve, you're being judgy. I'm not judging anyone's heart. I want to judge the doctrine that they're putting forth. I want to judge what the scriptures say about these things coming in, creeping in, and then starting to be heaped up. Brian Houston, the founder of Hill Songs, it's a church, it's not just music. He's declared that Allah, the God of Islam, and God, the Father of the Bible, are the same God. That's a false God that's being promoted. It's a word of faith church. They put faith in their words to create their future. That has another name. You know what it's called? Witchcraft. We put faith in God. We call out to the Lord. We ask for the Lord's will to be done. We don't put faith in our words to create our future. I grew up in the word of faith movement. I am somewhat of an expert on it, having come out of it myself, though I never really adhered to it as a kid, kind of saw through it then. It is cultic. It is a form of witchcraft. Bethel Church, the founder, Bill Johnson, says Jesus ceased being God while he was on earth. That's a different Jesus, folks. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if Jesus ceased being God on earth, guess what? Jesus isn't God because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, another word of faith movement. Put faith in your words. Create your future. That's called witchcraft. And you got the bulk of the church singing these songs now. And again, it's not to say that every song is not, uh, you know, every song's untheological or, or not sound. A few of them are. But listen, I choose not to sing those knowing from where it comes from, knowing the foundation of where it's coming from, knowing it's coming from men that are declaring things that are grossly, you know, full of error. And generally, the message is, appeals of the flesh about God's going to do this for you and that for you very little about actually serving the Lord and walking in holiness and uprightness and so forth and listen the list goes just go on and on and on I read yesterday a fellow by the name of N.T. Wright uh, he's called a new Calvinist he's one of the heads of what's called the gospel coalition this guy's got all kinds of unbiblical teachings and so forth evolution God used evolution to create all this nonsense he writes an article, and this is the headline of the article. Christianity offers no answers about the coronavirus. It's not supposed to. That's a leading pastor in the world today that people are looking to. This guy obviously hasn't read the Bible, or he doesn't understand the Bible. You don't think the Bible speaks to the coronavirus, and you're a pastor? You better believe God speaks to it. Some people say, why is this happening? Why is there death? Why is there sickness? You don't think the Bible speaks to that? Again, we just talked about it in the garden. God said, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Sin's going to set in. Death is going to set in. I'm not saying if someone dies of this, it's directly because of their sin. But this is here because of the sin of man. It's a fallen world. And praise God, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to redeem a fallen world. And all those of faith in Christ are going to be saved. The Bible speaks to that. The Bible talks about in the last days, there would be pestilence and a great increasing of pestilence. This is a worldwide pandemic. A worldwide pestilence that is plaguing the earth. And absolutely, the Bible says that would be the case in the leading up to the Lord Jesus Christ and his second coming. The Bible speaks to it. Also, you need to know that, listen, there were multiple times in the Old Testament when plagues and pandemics came upon the nation of Israel. Multiple times. 
You know what the Bible's answer to that was? It was number one for them to fall on their face and repent, to call out to the living God, to acknowledge their sin and turn to the living God. And then he gave them practical instruction as well. The practical instruction was if someone was infected, they were to be put out the camp while the camp operated as the camp was supposed to operate. And everyone in the camp were to wash their hands and live under the laws of cleanliness. You better believe the Bible speaks to these things and the Bible is right about these things. But this is where we are today. The temple's been defiled. It's been infiltrated, again, with false teaching across the board. I'm barely scratching the surface. You need to know, listen, I'm not saying these things tonight to try to be a bully, to try to, you know what, tear others down, to judge their heart. I'm not judging anyone's heart here. Judging what they're putting forth and millions of people are reading, comparing to the scripture where it says, again, these things would be all over the place in the last days. And you're saying, Steve, what's just the big deal? Just get off it. Come on, man. What's your problem here? Let's go back to Psalm 79.1 and we'll get through the psalm. We're going to go into hyperdrive here in a minute. But notice again, oh God, the nations have come into your heritage, your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. And you got to understand these false teachings. They defile the body of Christ. They defile truth. They bring desolation. They destroy lives. You got to understand when these false gospels are adhered to people and they put their faith in these things, that doesn't save them. When true believers start walking in these things, it affects their walk and their witness and it gets them to the place where they're not declaring truth. They're declaring error to those around them. And you see this in scripture. 2 Timothy 3.13, again, a New Testament scripture, evil men and apostles will go worse and worse. Notice, deceiving and being deceived. These are deceptions, deceiving people. The Lord said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Deception destroys, though. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, now the Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Those quotes we read out of those books, that God's everywhere and in everyone, those are doctrines of demons 100%. And there's many people departing from the faith. I don't think they probably ever had faith that are following after those things. And then in 2 Peter 2, 1, it says, but there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in, again, that word secret, destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. These lies destroy lives. And that's why I have a passion to talk about these things. That's why I have a boldness to talk about them. Why I'm not afraid to name names because I want to see people saved. And I want to see people grounded in the truth. And I want people to understand the gospel that God comes to indwelling you when you humble your heart and you call upon Christ. Listen, again, the original lie was you are God. We're not God. He's God. And we're restored with God when we call upon God through Jesus. That's the gospel. And to say that God is everywhere and everything is a false gospel that crept in, that opened a floodgate of false teaching that is heaped up all around the body of Christ. And listen, every pastor especially is going to give an account for these things. We got to watch these things. We got to call them out. And we need to push them out. 
These things need to be held to the standard of the scripture as I should be as well and any other pastor should be as well and we need to stand in truth. Verse two here. It says, the dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth, their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem and there is no one to bury them. So again, the heathen has infiltrated and as a result, there's bloodshed all over the place just as we were talking about Error brings destruction. Truth sets souls free. Real worship of God brings life. Captivity and bondage through compromise, it brings death. And you see here that the enemy of our soul has little regard for life. They care more about the birds and the beasts than the souls of men. They shed blood like water. It's no big deal. And as we talk about our nation, and again, the Bible speaking to the pandemic, the Bible speaking to the state of our nation, you got to understand, this scripture is speaking to us tonight. We live in a country that is guilty of the bloodshed of millions and millions and millions of babies. Where you're looking at some 50 million plus babies aborted since 1973. Some of the estimates say, I think it's up to 2 billion, 2 billion babies worldwide that have been aborted from that time to today. You talk about bloodshed. You talk about people that have no remorse in that. So many people that promote it. And here we are every night, this pandemic. And again, not making light of it all. Don't get me wrong. But saying all these people are dying. Some 4,000 people have died. And all those souls are precious to the Lord. I hope everyone knew the Lord in that place. And I would hope that all of us tonight are all the more calling out to the Lord. But every single day, there's not just hundreds but there's thousands of babies that are aborted in the name of convenience. In the name of your life will be better if you end this life. And I know this is where a lot of people get upset. It's a woman's body, it's her choice. Well listen, that's a body inside of her. And I know this as well, if you're an advocate for women's rights, half those babies are females that are murdered. And so you need to step up a plate and defend those females as well as those males. The Bible makes it very clear that life begins at conception. And so what's the first thing we need to do as a country? I saw today the president said we should pray and we should. But listen, there's a step before that. It's called repentance. It's called forgive us, Lord. And I would say one of the good things that's come out of this pandemic is a lot of those abortion mills have not been allowed to operate. And I hope none of them are allowed to operate during this. And they all get shut down after this. And if you agree with that at home, say amen right now. Verse 4, he says, we have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to those who are all around us. So again, the enemy has temporary power as Asaph is writing this, and they've been emboldened to mock God and to mock the people of God. Going back to the current things happening right now, I saw two days ago, and, and I don't know a lot about this guy's theology, but the My Pillow guy, and I use a My Pillow and enjoy it every night, the My Pillow guy talked about reading your Bible. And I thought, what great counsel. I was kind of scratching my head why the my pillow guy was talking at a presidential press conference myself, but I know he's making masks and these various things, and they're trying to usher people out, whatever. But listen, he says, read your Bible. And I thought, that's great. I hope people hear that, and they do that. All the mocking that came at this man for saying that. How dare he say that? Who does he think he is? He thinks reading the Bible will help? He thinks calling out to God will help? Over and over and over again, people saying this. Listen, 
That's the only place it's going to help. That's where it's got to start calling out to God and humbling our hearts. We better be in our Bibles. We better be on our faces. We better be crying out to him. And you see the enemy here again, full of boldness. But notice how the Psalms, the Psalm continues to unfold. Oh, Lord, how long, oh, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? So again, he's saying, how long, God, will you allow this to happen? And you got to understand that the heathen can rage so long, but eventually judgment's going to come from the Lord. Look at the history, man. Everyone dies eventually, and you stand before God. The scripture says it's appointed for man to die once, and you know what comes after death? The judgment. And you stand before God, and he asks the question, what did you do with my son? Have you called upon the name of Jesus, or have you rejected him? Verse 6, he says, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. Again, these that have infiltrated with the temple, not knowing God, but promoting another God. Not promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the God indwells in you when you call upon the Lord, but infiltrates with the lie that, hey, God's in everything. He says here, pour out your wrath. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste to his dwelling place. They've devoured Jacob, Israel. They've devoured the people of God with these lies. Again, there are people who've not called upon the name of the Lord. There are people who don't know the Lord. And don't take that lightly tonight. You need to understand that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And if you've not called upon his name, there are no other ways to have a right relationship with God, forgiveness, and the hope of heaven. And if you think right now shelter in place is bad, you should, you know, I don't want anyone to experience shelter in place in a place called hell forever. Because that awaits those that do not know God that reject Jesus Christ. Not my opinion. Not my opinion. Before you turn me off that this is upsetting you, listen to the scriptures. Listen to John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Call on the Lord. Humble your heart. Ask him to be your Lord. Ask him to be your Savior. Get right with God through calling on Jesus. He is the only way. And listen, don't downplay this. Don't think for a moment that, hey, listen, I'm going to have a conversation with God and we're equals. God is holy. God was without sin. We are sinners. Sin brings death. And God is not going to bring that into eternity. You must know Jesus. You must call upon the name of Jesus. Verse 8, the psalmist cries out, concerning the sin of the people. And listen, this is where we all got to step back. I can point out, you know, these false teachings, but that doesn't mean that practically that I'm perfect. I'm far from it. I'm only saved by the shed blood of Jesus and faith in him. And practically, I'm a work in progress just as every other believer is. And Asaph recognizes that. And he says here in verse eight, oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. So he's saying, Lord, forgive us of our sin and don't remember it. And it's awesome because Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake. I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. So the Lord says again, call on me and I will not remember your sin. What an awesome promise. Asaph says, let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us. And I know sometimes when we're in a place where we say, I need an extra measure of mercy, it seems like it's a long time coming, but you got to understand the Bible says our time here is a vapor. 
And that mercy comes speedily when we call out to him for it and we await on him and allow him to pour it out. He says, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. And notice, deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. This is Asaph in the Old Testament crying out for deliverance, crying out for atonement. He's crying out for the coming of Jesus Christ. And praise God, Jesus has come the first time to atone for our sins, to pay the penalty of our sins. He is the deliverer, the only deliverer. And again, whoever calls upon his name to be Lord, which means you're repenting, you're turning from being your own Lord to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Indeed, atonement and deliverance and salvation is found. Verse 10, it says, why should the nations say, where is their God? Let there be known Uh, Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. So Asaph is saying, why should they say, where's their God? And again, you see in fallen world, you see in a a rebellious day, uh, many people even mocking God, where people are saying, we need to turn to God. Oh, where's your God? Your God, you know, your God has nothing to do with this. When the recognition needs to be that man's fallen, Man's rebellious. Rebellion has brought in death and disease and pain and suffering. And we need to humble our heart and cry out to God. And yet so many people shake their fist at him. But notice what Romans says. As the, as, as the psalmist is saying, Lord, bring a vengeance. Romans 10, or excuse me, 12, 17, it says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Good counsel. And then it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance comes. Now listen, today's a day of mercy. Now's the time to call upon the Lord. But if individuals want to reject that, if as a nation we continue to You know what? Reject the Lord. In days of mercy, when you reject him, you know what it does? It heaps up more wrath and more judgment. I hope and pray that as a nation, we really get back to him. I hope the church gets back to him and back to truth and really worshiping God and a sound gospel. That's where we need to get today. And I think if we don't, this pandemic we're seeing right now, it's going to be nothing to what may come next. Not prophesying, I'm just saying as an opinion, and I know that scripture talks about things getting a whole lot worse. Man, get your fear tonight swallowed up by faith in the Lord, his promises. Get in the Lord's economy. Get in the Lord's army. Get your eyes upon God. Heed the counsel of Jesus where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew six thirty three. Almost done here, verse 11. It says, let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. According to the greatness of your power, preserve those who are appointed to die. So he's humbly crying out to, again, the people of God or to God on behalf of the people of God who've been in prison in this, you know what, infiltration of the world that have been appointed to die by the world. He's saying, you know what, preserve us. And praise God, we're preserved in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a glorious truth we have. We have a great future and a great hope. And listen, that's not just far off somewhere. I have that tonight. I know my Lord is with me tonight. I know God's going to go before me tonight. 
that God is my God, He's my rock, my salvation. Even if everything is stripped from us, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus and His promises that are yes and amen. Almost done here, verse 12, he says, And return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom, their reproach which they, which they have reproached you, O Lord. And he's saying, listen, what they sow, Lord, let them reap it. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to a flesh of the flesh will reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit of the spirit will reap everlasting life. He says, don't be deceived. What you sow, you're going to reap. Again, this rebellion that they were bringing to the temple, they were going to reap the judgment of God. And we're going to reap the judgment of God ourselves unless we humble our hearts and cry out to the Lord forgiveness and salvation. And listen, he stands ready to wash and forgive and cleanse. The Lord says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then finally he says in verse 13, so we, your people and sheep of your pasture, we give you thanks forever. And notice, we will show forth your praise to all generations. So again, he's brought this before the Lord. He's brought his plea before the Lord. He's asked for God to intervene. He's asked for God to clean the temple, to bring judgment on the rebellion. He's asked for forgiveness on his behalf, on behalf of the people of the Lord. And then he cries out here again that they would walk as the people of the Lord. They would follow the good shepherd. They would allow him to bring them into green pastures a declaration, we'll give thanks to you forever, and praise God in Christ, we will. And so let's start that today. Let's not just be an opportunity to complain, but an opportunity to give thanks, to give praise to God Almighty. Man, there's blessings that abound all over the place. Open your eyes and see Him and give thanks to God Almighty. And then again, he shows with, closes with, we will show, show forth your praise to all generations. And again, you see the heart of Asaph again for the next generation, concerned about his children, Concerned about his children's children and his children's children, children, concerned about them, recognizing that he needed to stand stout in the truth of God's word and the truth of true worship of God Almighty. And listen, if we don't do that with, I barely scratched the surface tonight of infiltration of false teaching that just abounds in Christianism today, what's it going to look like in the next generation if this stuff doesn't start getting called out, listen, if pastors don't start dealing with these things versus, you know what, I don't want to ruffle any feathers or rock any boats, I, I look at that as someone that's not properly shepherding if they turn a blind eye to these things. And again, you can take that or leave that if, you know what, you want to judge me for saying those things because you're saying I'm being judgmental of what's being said. Well, you're judging me right now, so I think that's problematic. So anyhow... Listen, I hope and pray that you receive from this, you're encouraged. Our God is on the throne. We need to draw near to him, stand in his promises, his goodness. Let's let this be a, be a time where we allow the Lord to search us as individuals, for him to come and, you know what, fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit to baptize us with fire, so to speak, that word pur in the Greek, which means to purify, to lay things down before him if we need to do that and draw near to him. And listen, if you've watched tonight and you don't know the Lord, I've shared the gospel purposely seven or eight times. God's put that on my heart to do that repeatedly through the, these things for as the believer, you, for you to be encouraged, and for anyone watching that doesn't know the Lord to hear the gospel. 
Yes, there's bad news. We're sinners. And the Bible says we're subjected to hell if we die in our sin. It's bad news. It's horrible news. But listen, the good news is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died for the penalty of your sin and my sin. He rose from the dead and defeated death. And again, the Bible declares, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you haven't called on him, call on him. And if you've gotten far drifted from him, come back to him tonight and begin to walk with the Lord. And thank God for disrupting things to get our attention. Lord, again, we bless you. We honor you. We thank you for this time in your word. We pray, God, that you would just continue to go before us as you always do, God. I want to pray, God, that you just especially bless all these that have watched tonight. Meet them where they are. Strengthen them in you, God. Shine your face on your people, God. Absolutely pour out your grace and mercy upon our nation and this world. And we want to pray, God. We want to pray, God, that as the people of God, we would glorify you, God, because you're worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. You are awesome. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.